Welcome to the 40 Under 40 podcast with your hosts, Caitlin Cromit and AJ McQuarrie. They are two entrepreneurs who speak to other entrepreneurs under the age of 40 so you can learn from their successes and failures along their journeys of building businesses. 40 Under 40 podcast hopes to educate, motivate, and inspire people to pursue their dreams of starting a business regardless of age. And now, here are your hosts, Caitlin and AJ. Oh my God, I can't get over how cool that sounds. I know, I love it. We have our own jingle. <laughs> we have our own jingle. We have our own podcast. Look at it go. Does that mean we made it? I think we made it. I think we're officially famous. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is actually a funny story because I was leaving the house yesterday. Has this ever happened to you guys? Because this is crazy. I was leaving our house and we were driving. We got about maybe a mile away. And at that point that we got a mile away, our phone pops up with our security system saying, did you arm the house? Because we detected that you left Damn, you're bougie. and we were just like, holy crap, that is crazy. Wow. It knew left and it knew we had to arm the house because we weren't home anymore. What? I know. Did you even realize you had that setting on? Like all no. these apps know so much about us without us even. It's kind of like, creepy. You know how when you leave the house and the map pops up, if it's around the time when you're going to a destination, normally it's like, are you going to work? You know, uh-huh. click that. I'm like, wow. And it's usually so accurate. Yep. And it's like, how did you know where I was going? And then when you park your car and you walk away, they're like, do you want to mark your parked car? It's like, how do you know I drove? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's bad when it picks up on like habits, like, are you going to Starbucks again? <laughs> and it's again. like, oh shit, I should really. <laughs> and then your budget pops up. Like, do you have space? <laughs> your budget yeah your mint budget (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i hate it along these lines i feel like our guest today is going to be able to speak to this a little bit which yeah Yeah, he's an ai guy and that's kind of what this is like it's machine learning basically it's ai yeah artificial intelligence which apparently isn't just robots folks today on the podcast we have this incredible guest. He's really the king of innovation, honestly. His name's Pruffle Mathur, and he is a serial entrepreneur focusing on logistics and transportation. He's now starting his fourth, fourth business, you guys. Wow. <laughs> helping, logis- and he's a young guy, like um, business helping logistic companies fight online threats with his cybersecurity company, and that's called Sama Security. Sama Security, I love the name. Mm-hmm. He also currently runs AI on the Beach, and that's a tech company that uses AI to measure human impact on, get this, the behavior of dolphins and sharks. How cool oh is that? Oh my gosh, that's sick. I love that. And he's raised millions of dollars over the years and tech investment. And he's in Silicon Valley. I mean, seriously, folks, we have a tech genius in our midst. Welcome, Proffel. We're so excited to have you here, man. Thank you for the incredible intro. Uh, just to just to let people know, you know, uh, having many many companies means that there's many failures in there too. So that's exactly. what we'll also <laughs> be able to talk about. Um, just because you start a lot of things, um, you know, it, it's fun. Uh, that's what I'll say. And I know I've known AJ since forever, I guess, at this point since college. And so yeah. uh, I've been able to see your evolution as an entrepreneur. And so it's been it's been interesting to see how everybody is able to keep growing uh, over the last whatever couple of decades yeah, when we, we were first met amp idea which at the time i thought was such a cool business was that your first company yeah that was my first legitimate company yeah tell us about it we were college kids and we were trying to figure out um 
you know, some business to build. And my reason for that is that I had been rejected from a program called Y Combinator. And I had always been interested in building a company, uh, but I had a chip on my shoulder for that. And Sumat, my co-founder, had got had broken up with his then girlfriend. And he had a chip on his shoulder because he wanted to prove that he wasn't, you know, some you know, average guy at that point. And so we spent a whole summer trying to come up with a bunch of different ideas, but what ultimately stuck was a company idea that neither of us were super excited about from the outset. Like he gave me the idea of, you know, he was in class one day, he thought, you know, why don't we put advertising in the, in the back of cabs? And, you know, I wasn't so interested in either cabs or advertising at the time, uh, but then what really changed the trajectory of that particular business versus all the other ideas we had come up with was this understanding that we got traction fairly quickly. All the other companies were interesting, were cool. You could tell friends about it and they immediately got it, but we weren't able to sell it. With Amp Idea, the day after we talked about the idea, he got off the phone with me and said, hey, I have 10 cabs in Brookline, Massachusetts. If you know about Massachusetts, you know, Brookline is an adjacent city to Boston. Like, you know, it's not the best kind of city to go into, but it's, it's traction nonetheless. As soon as he told me that, he flew out to Boston. We went to the cab company. We confirmed it in person. At that time, we had this like really janky prototype and we were off to the races at that point. And then we went to a bunch of local businesses to see if they would advertise. 100% of them said no. But at that point, we both had this, uh, we both wanted to get something done over the course of the summer. Because of the co-op program in Northeastern, uh, I had some money going into it. And uh, and so I had a little bit of seed capital to to put into this business. I mean, how much are we talking here? Oh, I mean, it's, it's laughably small when you think about rounds a day, but I had spent uh, close to like $5,000, which is a I lot mean, of money for a college kid. But it was- time, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but it was uh, basically all of the money I saved from co-op, which was what to go towards my student loans, it ended up going into this business. This was pre-Uber. So what are the parallels between Amp Idea and Uber? And did Uber kind of ruin it for you? Did you not stand a chance after Uber? Yes, it was a good question. What happened is that idea was to take credit card machines and advertising units and place them in the back of cabs, similar to what you see in New York City. And so that was coming to Boston. So when we went to Brookline, we got that confirmation. Then we went to the city of Boston and we said, hey, this is uh, something that we're trying to bring in. And he's like, this is fantastic. We've been trying to put this into a um, basically a request for proposal for quite a bit. If you can help us figure out how this uh, regulation should come together, we'll, we'll make you part of this open request. And so we're like, okay, fantastic. We're like, okay, well, what, what do we have to do to get um, ourselves more educated? He's like, oh, just talk to a bunch of cab uh, companies. And so in his head, he thought that would scare us off. In our heads, we're too stupid to know any better. And so we're like, oh, fantastic. We have to talk to like four cab companies. That's easy. <laughs> that. We could go and do that tomorrow. What, what, what was Interesting is that as we started talking to these cab owners, we realized like why um, they had asked us to do it. Because uh, if if you know about the cab industry, you know they're like they are the shadiest people in the world. Historically, they were run by random shady people that have ties to people like the mob, like the Russian mafia, or mm -hmm. like d different drug drug lords, etc. 
I, I tell people I specialized in uh, building tech for for the shadiest industries in the world. And so, <laughs> uh, and, and that's partially why when you talk about Uber, they didn't target the taxi industry. They targeted the livery services or black car services because that was less shady than the taxi industry. And even the taxi industry, years later, uh, Eddie Tadanjian, which is the largest cab owner in the in Boston at the time, he was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Now he's basically bankrupt because of the cost of medallions has gone to zero because of Uber. But at that time, he could just do whatever he wanted, throw his weight wherever, and people would listen. He would be able to talk to the governor. He'd be able to talk to anybody. And then also the taxi cab commissioner was a year or two after we graduated uh, college was indicted on corruption charges. So there's a lot of things that happen yeah. um, in that and space. Remind me just real quick, how old were you at this point? Like when you started this business? We were both 19, 20. So. Wow. Okay. So you're going in kind of like blind, right? Like this is the first thing you've started. Did you always know that you wanted to start a business or were you, did you ever pursue like a regular job as people call it. I always knew I wanted to build a software company because I looked up to Bill Gates a lot. And that's why I, I, mean, I got into software because my dad and then I thought, okay, and, and it was my whole life as I was growing up, my parents and my parents' friends would say, you know, want to build your own company. You don't want to work for somebody. Uh, as a kid, you're very impressionable. They're thinking, oh, this is like, you know, like I'm just venting to this like child, like whatever. But when you tell a kid a stuff enough times, as especially as they're growing up, uh, and you reinforce that messaging, you know, it gets, it gets stuck. And so since then, I've always wanted to build a software company, but the taxi cab industry was just sort of something I thought, okay, we'll jump in here, make some money, right. sell it, and then move on. I didn't realize yeah. it would be such a big deal as, as we went through it. Right. No, that makes total sense. I feel like that <laughs> that kind of happens too. It's like you you just kind of fall into what is meant for you at that certain point, even if it's not particularly what you see yourself doing for the rest of your life. Exactly. Um, I know we can all definitely relate to that. Cool. So tell us kind of once once you you launched your AMP idea with the taxi cab companies, moving on from there, like what inspired your future companies? Yeah, so with Amp Where Idea, I AJ, is that we were looking to implement the software. And so I had reached out to the person I knew was the top of our class at the time was Sergi, which is our mutual friend. Yeah, he's a tech genius. Google hired him right out of college. We'll bring him on this podcast. Exactly. And so when we were thinking about who should we bring on the team, I had a, a, a short list and he was on the top of it. Thankfully, he said yes, but I had invited him and, you know, he admitted to me at the time and, and AJ was here. was like, I thought this was just going to be like some dumb company and I didn't actually expect to come uh, join it. I just needed an excuse to come to Boston. And so <laughs> You were that excuse. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, but thankfully he said yes. And uh, that was a day that I met AJ. AJ was working or uh, you were thinking about building out your vending business. And we were pretty much in the middle of this kind of company. It was in the heat of the summer. I know that because we didn't have AC. We had this like really random fan that was spinning in the background. And the things we you, remember, right? What you asked me is like, you know, what inspired me to, to, to keep building? Was it the fact that we were miserable in this apartment day in and day out, continuing to build something with people that we liked uh, was really interesting and inspiring. So I've had, uh, you know, 
quote unquote real jobs, both as a full time and consultants and like, a, a you know, as a partner of a business and, you know, I've been brought on as a, as a, a CTO. I've been a CEO. I've, I've been a CTO of a company I founded. I mean, everything that you could wow. think of has happened in my on. career. I've been pushed out of a company. I have quit. I have been fired. And then I, I've also shut down companies. I've laid off people. I fired people. So like I've seen all of the spectrum. You've lived like a hundred years in your young life. <laughs> now, let me ask you something though. Do you think that entrepreneurship is like, I'd say you are an entrepreneur. You're like the epitome of an entrepreneur. When I think of an entrepreneur, I think of you. Were you always like that? Or did you have to develop into that? And do you think some people are born entrepreneurs or is it something that you really can harness? Like, what's your philosophy? A lot of people have different views on this. Well, one, thank you, because uh, AJ, you yourself have got some really good insight because of your experiences with building your company. Um, and so what I would say is, oh, no way. Like, I had to learn everything. I was a terror. I mean, I, I couldn't even make sales calls in our first company. When I when I say I couldn't make sales calls, I had a part of my time where I would call people, they would say something to me and I would hang up because I would get so nervous. And so going from that to, you know, what you're seeing now, that's a, that's been a decade transformation. So how often now do you think maybe I should go back to the corporate world? I should, you know, get that cushy job. Yeah, I feel like we all have those. I have that like a daily basis. I'm like, <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to stop and just get a regular job and have regular hours, you know, and get the regular salary and benefits. Don't have to pay your own, you know, health insurance, et cetera. When I first got serious about that was in 2020, February, 2020, which as you can remember was the uh, month before basically catastrophe hit the world so, changed <laughs> yeah so uh the my friends joke that like you know you thought of getting a job and the whole world had to shut down just so you could stay an entrepreneur and i was like that's not true but there is something to that where you know Honestly. To your when you're when you're when you're, you're talking about you know when when have i thought about getting a full-time job like, i mean it's a, it's a persistent thought but uh when i decided to act on it um you know, the, the whole world completely changed. And so where once being part of a company was a very cushy, comfortable, safe path is no longer safe in a post-COVID world where being an entrepreneur is actually the safer uh, path because, you know, at any given day these days, you could be laid off, you could, you know, be building skills that are very specific to a company and not applicable to anyone else. Uh, but also the fact is we have the internet and the world is, you know, 2.3 billion people are online or 2.5 billion people are online and all of them are potential customers. And if you look at growing economies like India, Latin America, Nigeria, South America, Africa, uh, you could look in um, parts of Europe as well. I mean, there, there's a large scope for what everyone is doing. And uh, you should just, you know, kind of get involved with some niche community because you don't know where that could go or how big it could get. Yeah. Basically the opportunities are endless is what you're saying. Like as far as business, is starting your own business. There's so much out there. Yeah. I mean, you should just not worry about the outcome. You should worry about what is it that people expect from you. Interesting. I like that. Mm. I like that notion. Okay. So how kind of going back to college, do you feel like college was critical to where you are today? Because I know some people are like, you know, absolutely go to college. And then others are like, you know what, do you do you? I mean, I feel yeah. like college for you, because you're technical, right? 
you got a technical skill for your bachelor's degree, computer science. So what I'll say is choose your colleges uh, wisely because at the end of the day, the reason why college was really important for me is because of the people I met. I met you, I met Sergi, I met, you know, have relationships with some of the professors still, uh, ha have a relationship with the dean. I mean, those are things that would not have happened at many other colleges. I had the opportunity to do co-op. I was able to save up money. I was in the city of Boston. I was able to build relationships with people in the entrepreneurial community. I mean, some of my best friends to this day come from my experiences in Boston. And so, you know, we met a decade ago and we're now on this podcast. So I wouldn't say that college is important because you're going to go there, learn a bunch of stuff and it'll change your entire uh, perspective on life. That does happen, but it's more of a, it's a platonic ideal. Really, you go there because of the experience of who you meet and how you meet them. And today you can do the same thing and replicate that on the internet. For me, like my experience was, was, um, about the co-op experience and, and being able to build and bring things to life. And two of my co-ops were for companies that I had started. And so, you know, that's a, that's a very, um, that's a very rare kind of experience to have. Uh, and, and that was why I, um, I really liked Northeastern. Say if there's someone, if there's a listener out there who's like, should I go to college and get into more student loan debt? Or should I just put what I would spend on college and go and launch a business? What would you say? I, I would say that you should have some way of learning deeply technical skills, but don't put yourself into exorbitant debt because it, it isn't, isn't worth it. I mean, it took me uh, a decade to pay off my student loans. And so uh, and that's, that's like a good amount of time. <laughs> like yeah. there are people who have, you know, 20, 30, 40 years of debt. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's pretty bad. And so I mean, I also did really dumb things like when I was starting my second company before we got into Y Combinator, I, you know, I didn't um, pay off some of the months and like, you know, we added up and I have like negative stuff on my credit report now. So like those are the types of things that you wouldn't want to do. But uh, what I would say is that if you can get some education and learn technical skills and build a group of people who are like-minded around you, then you're going to replicate that experience. I mean, 2020 showed us you don't have to go to college to just party and hang out and, you know, hook up. I mean, there is a, an alternative where you can learn and build a community, but, uh, uh, yeah, so I would say that, you know, if you're really dead set on building a company and you know what you're doing and you have a customer base, then do that. But before all of that, meet some like-minded people online, build out a community, get really deep with them, understand, you know, what are the types of things that they care about and and really like follow things that you are truly curious about in when you're young. And then as you grow up, then you can start to look at ways you can monetize that or ways to uh, make that something that, that'll become profitable for you. But early on, really follow things that you're especially curious about. And don't worry about where people say like, you know, a couple of years ago, just even uh, last year, there was a meme online that said like, kids these days wanna be influencers versus scientists. But that's a really old school way of looking at it because influencers today are scientists. Influencers today are mm -hmm. um, so uh, politicians. I mean, if you look at just what Trump is, Trump is an influencer that happened exactly. to be a president of the United States. And so, <laughs> yeah. 
that's not yeah i mean and so when people we tell kids like you shouldn't want to be an influencer that to me is like a completely opposite message i think that you'd want to be as vocal and as public as you possibly can in the thing that you're really interested in because you'll be able to build a business off of that i mean right. the way i learned everything from covid was from scientific influencers on instagram so not the media and influencer simply means you are influencing other people, which is like Correct. what you anyone should be Shouldn't doing. We all want to do that. Exactly. Right. <laughs> if you believe in something and if you're good at it and, you know, that should be the goal. So, so true. Love it. I mean, corporations spend billions of dollars to be influencers through the marketing budgets. So mm-hmm. that is it's you can like, yeah. how much money for a host. Oh, my God. Seriously. Yeah. So exactly. crazy. Full time income for one post. Cool. So, Okay. AI. Let's talk about AI because I'm a total AI noob. I don't know much. I only know that it stands for artificial intelligence <laughs> and that's about it. So tell tell us a little bit about your experience with AI, um, especially this company that you're working on right now and, and you know what got you into that whole world because it's such a big topic right now and it's a big thing to be in. So we want to hear your experience. Yeah. So the way to think about AI is, is just software that is able to adapt to the problem uh, without human intervention. So uh, the easiest way to think about it is right now you write a software like um, an app like Instagram. And if you know we wanted to do something new with it, uh, some software engineers in the back end would have to change the entire interface to allow for this new kind of um, uh, you know, experience. Whereas with AI, you're not solving some of these problems yet, but what you are solving is, okay, we want to better understand the changing nature of the way that shark uh, movement is occurring in relation to vessels, which is one of the projects we worked on. Or another project a, a sister group is working on is to understand the language structure of dolphins and whales and that those problems we don't have a lot of insight about and so what we do is we throw a lot of data at these um, software systems have them try to tell us what the patterns are but these patterns are not obvious if they were obvious we'd be able to figure it out write some code and then move on but these are very complex patterns in the in nature that we're trying to uh, better understand and we use software like um, artificial intelligence to get us closer to that answer so what a lot of people think about ai is it's going to take over our jobs and, and change everything it's just going to change the nature of jobs the same way the factory changed how we, we depended highly on you know manual labor to stitch up clothing now we can run it through a factory and you have a large uh, automated system to do that now we have hundreds of millions of t-shirts in the world uh whereas before the industrial revolution we had like tens of thousands and the t-shirt costs yeah. a lot of money mm-hmm. so that's so- what's happening AI is controversial because people say 40% of the workforce isn't going to have a job. What do you think of that? How realistic is it that in 20, 30 years, 40% of the workforce won't have a job? Like, Do you buy into that? 40% of the people's jobs today won't exist in 20 years. I believe that too. They'll just be different, right? Like you were saying, they're just going to be a little bit different. Yeah. So the way that we moved beyond certain forms of labor in this country was the fact that we realized that we could be more efficient in the way that we used people in, in the in the in the company. That's the same way that you're going to see with AI, a lot more companies are going to be highly efficient, are going to be able to resolve large scale problems with a very small gr- groups of people, but a, a lot of people are going to be able to participate in this. And so what's scarier to people who 
are you know older today is that the younger generation is going to have way more leverage than they are going to if they don't know things like AI and machine learning. And I don't think you need to know how the software works, but I do think you want to start getting comfortable with what's possible with what you can do with AI so you can find the right set of uh, talent and the right set of people to help you build your next kind of opportunity. But again, like these things are going to take, you know, five, 10 years to mature and to really be real. But by that time, like large amounts, like the problem now is that in a very short amount of time, maybe like five to 10 years, you're going to see such a massive societal transformation that the bigger question is, is it going to move faster than people can adapt? And what do we do during that transition period? That's actually a, a deeper societal issue rather than a technical issue. What excites you most about AI from the entrepreneur's perspective? Like what are the opportunities that you're most excited about? I mean, we're going to, we're going to every fundamental institution and every part of our infrastructure and every part of the world that we assume today is going to change. I mean, because of things like encryption, artificial intelligence, new forms of digital currencies, uh, everything that we know of today is no longer going to be true in 20 years. Wow. That's deep. That's real though. See, and here I am thinking AI is just like robots. <laughs> like I think AI <laughs> no, and I'm like, Oh, no, 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 no. This is important. <laughs> if you're a young entrepreneur, you should learn about AI. It should be something you study and at least know the gist of because that's the future of business. Yeah, I would say uh, there's a course online called Fast AI. They have a forum. They have a bunch of easy to follow courses. They have videos. Just go through that because you're going to get a lot more out of it even if you don't finish the courses. If you, Even if you just do the first 30, 40 minutes of that class, you'll get a lot of what's happening behind the scenes and it, it'll give you a deeper um you know, appreciation for, for everything going on. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's, I mean, that's really interesting stuff. So kind of heading back to entrepreneurship and, you know, you as an entrepreneur, are there certain things like in your daily routine that helps, that help you to be a better entrepreneur? Like, what do you suggest for people who are entrepreneurs and maybe they have issues like motivating themselves because there's not like someone watching over you and watching your every move, making sure you're working. Are there certain things in your personal routine that help you kind of stay on track? Because I know that's a struggle in my life for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, to be honest, it's a struggle for everybody. I mean, I don't know anybody who's super successful that just is like very incredibly disciplined person that operates day in and day out. Now, there are people like that that exist. And there are people who are not like that, but will tell you they're like that because it gets some social views. But what I will say is most people are people and you just need to accept that you don't have to be exceptional to be to be successful. And I, I think that this like meme in our, our society, which is like, hey, Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates, and these guys are such like extraordinary geniuses that that's why they made so much money. They have something unique about themselves. But when you go back to their initial starting days, there was nothing beyond having a general curiosity and um, some money that, that they used to build these companies. I mean, they spent a lot of time learning everything. Uh, I mean, Bill Gates mm -hmm. got access to a computer at the same time Harvard got access to a computer. So he had access to a rich family, but beyond that, like he wasn't extraordinary. 
Wow. Yeah. I always think about that. Cause I'm like, all these people who are so successful, you know, they're just like us really. Like they're not crazy, insane, exceptional people. Like you said, it's just regular people who got really good at something or like worked really hard at one thing. I think what ends up happening is we read a lot about these people. Some of them wake up at this is their morning routines and we like glamorize it. Cause Caitlin was asking like, are there any special routines? Like and that can be intimidating, like, oh, so-and-so wakes up at 4 a.m. and works out for an hour and a half and then meditates for 25 minutes. And it's like this discipline and it, sometimes it sounds scary. Especially when you're not an early bird, like I cannot get out of bed before seven ever. Like Either. my <laughs> life depends on it. <laughs> I just can't. <laughs> yeah, so going back to your question, I don't think there's a routine that's gonna solve these things. I, I ultimately think that if every day you spend at least two to three hours on the thing that you're really interested interested in over the course of a year, you're going to learn more about it than anybody else in the world. And that's really all it comes down to. 10,000 hours, I think is kind of a BS term because, you know, like yeah. that means that you have to spend yeah. like a hundred hours a week for. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah you know, a hundred weeks, which is essentially a third of the year. You know, I don't think that that's what you need. I think what you need is just the ability to spend at least a couple hours a day, uh, every day, and just focus on moving the ball forward and measure whatever your outcome is. And then, you know, as long as you're growing that that metric every week, you're you're going to be okay. What, what do you use to track metrics for your company? I keep it incredibly simple. I use Google Sheets. Uh, I share it with all of my partners and we just talk about what's happening. You could also look at using Google Analytics or Firebase or whatever, but you just need somewhere you can go in, look at what's happening, and then be honest. If things aren't growing, it's not because you're a terrible entrepreneur. It's just that you have to dig in and see, okay, is there something that we did this week that didn't work? Or is there something that we did last week that did work? Or is it that we just got lucky? And how do we, you know, recreate that luck? Can we break down what was lucky about that week and turn that into a system? And it might take you a year to figure out what works and what doesn't. And if this is what, you know, you in statistics, you kind of call causal variables. Like if I make a change here, will it cause the outcome that I'm looking for in my revenue or in my user numbers or et cetera? And if you, once you figure that out, then you're unstoppable. But that's the secret. Once you figure that out, then you're basically- It just takes one time to figure that out. <laughs> Can exactly. I just say, this is really refreshing. I feel like you coming in here and being like, you know what? I just use Google Sheets. And like, you know what? If you don't get it right the first time, it's not the end of the world. Like all these things are just like, not the things you that get famous in books, right? Like this is the real stuff. And it's like, yeah, you can use Google Sheets. You don't need this fancy $200 a month system to track stuff. And you don't need to get everything right on the first try or spend 10,000 hours, but you can just like keep working at it and do it your own way. And then there's no right answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's precisely it. That's the basically the summarization of what I would say I've learned is that everything that you think about with these mega celebrity entrepreneurs is not really why they're successful. It's not because Elon Musk works until he's delirious, which is why he's made multiple companies succeed. He succeeds because he surrounds himself with incredibly bright people and they work hard at what they do. And, you know, if you look at 
SpaceX, that's mostly run by Gwen Shotwell. If you look at uh, Tesla, you see the, these incredible groups of people that he's put together. If you look at Neuralink, he's not even there most of the time. It's run by some incredibly bright people. And so you go in on and on, you realize like, yes, he works really hard and he's obsessive and he has these like weird compulsion, OCD kind of things. And But like, <laughs> that's not why he's successful. I mean, he's successful because he's built a team around himself. They have a vision, they have a mission and, yeah. and they all work towards that together every day. Yeah. Also, they have money and they have access to funds and they have investors. So can we talk about yes. that for a second? You've raised yeah. a lot of money over the years. How much have you raised? Can you directly tell us? about uh, five million and then indirectly what? friends is like uh, through all of my friends and my advice for them, it's like $50 million. $50 million you've been a part of raising Are somehow, you? you're basically okay. saying. That's incredible. Wow. No, I mean, that, and that's what I would I want to really emphasize is that before I came to Silicon Valley and before I was uh, in Y Combinator, I, I didn't know how to raise money at all. It's a very different world in this space. I mean, it's not that I'm much better or I'm much uh more i have a secret it's just i have built a network in the in the valley of people who just happen to have a lot more money than they know what to do with and so when you come across enough people like this they'll end up giving you money for things that you may or may not be deservingly needing that money for so how do you approach investors like how do you even do it so investors want one thing and it's it's a really obvious thing it's they want to make money and so if they give you money, they want to make money. Now, a lot of entrepreneurs will come and say, well, you know, I have this great business. I, if I get a million dollars, I can turn that into a million and a half. Great. Well, it's a time frame it can happen in and how much um, uh, and, and how big of that opportunity can this become? And so when you start to break it down, investors of the Bay Area, again, are not very sophisticated. So what they want to know is, can this become a billion dollar company? Because, you know, bringing in a million and a half in revenue is essentially a 50% return. And it depends on the time horizon. If it's at six months, incredible. If it's like, you know, it's 10 years, it's not as great uh, because in 10 years they can build, invest in an Airbnb that's worth a hundred billion dollars. And so uh, the difference is that like, how do you, you know, communicate this and what is your, how quickly can you get the return? What does your return look like? And how much effort is it going to take to, you to get to that return. And once you, again, it's just a math equation. If you tell an investor, hey, if you give me a million dollars, I have a, a pathway to a billion dollars and it's going to take a success of another, you know, 50 to hundred million dollars to get there. And investors are very interested in that, you know, a million to a, a, a billion dollars, a very large uh, exit. So kind of going back to what we were talking about with surrounding yourself with bright people, how do you build such strong teams? Like what would you say is the biggest tip you have for, for creating that type of a team? Have friends who are also really interested in random things, you know, like uh, I just knew Sergi because he was in the same computer science department. I have friends who are interested in, in, you know, cars or, you know, vending machines or whatever the case is. When you are surrounded <laughs> by people who are highly curious, you'll find people who are highly talented. Because again, if they just spend every day looking and thinking about something, they'll be the best in the world or close to it very quickly. That's a great point. So find people that are curious and that are already, you know, interested in something because you know that they have, they're going to have that passion or at least have that drive. 
So just to piggyback on Caitlin's question about teams, do you usually have your team already in place and then you go to investors? Or, I mean, I imagine sometimes in the tech startup world especially, you sometimes need money before you can build the team. How do you It depends on how well you can raise money. But uh, at the end of the day, I would say for you personally, don't include investors into this equation. For yourself as a person, you want to have a good co-founder or a good initial team members that can help you advance the product in a way that you're not necessarily thinking about it. So quick example, when we were building out Amp Idea, Sergio was able to like create a way for us to get the iPhone scroll. And then we were the only people outside of iOS to do that in a software system. And that was purely because he was interested in graphics and user interfaces from the time he was very young. Did I know that before we started working together? No, absolutely not. But the fact is he figured it out, we implemented it, and then we had the best interface of any company on the on the market. And uh, that's something that is... It, it, once, where you know you've gotten a good team member is if they can do things that you couldn't even think about uh, as part of getting to the solution. What would you tell your 20-year-old amp idea profile self <laughs> if you could go so back? So I, I was very obsessed with trying to be part of this like entrepreneurial class of people. I wanted to be like friends with all of these great entrepreneurs, and I thought that, that would be the ultimate success in my life. And now that I've met all of these really strong entrepreneurs, I realized that that wasn't really what I wanted. What I wanted was to be able to do what I was already doing when I was 20, to have a company to, with some of my closest friends building something in a really dingy apartment. I think that was the most- That's uh, the dream. <laughs> yeah, it's freedom. Yeah, oh, I love it. That's what, uh, yeah, I feel like that's every entrepreneur's dream or wannabe entrepreneur. Real quick, how do you deal with failure? Because I know we talked about that in the beginning, like obviously there's been- some failures along the way and for everyone. And how do you get through that and not just give up? I think everyone has dealt with failure, right? The way I think about it is th- think about your uh, a breakup with a person you really cared about. That's what a company is. Um, people talk about it being like children. You know, you, a company failing is not the same as a child dying. That's a very different issue. But like, uh, if that's if dramatic. You, yeah. <laughs> It's totally like a relationship ending or like a divorce, divorce, right? It's not pretty. It sucks. And it has the exact same issues, right? You have to like figure out what to do with the assets. You have to figure out who gets what. You have to figure out if you have investors, what do you tell them? And so uh, everyone has dealt with this. You just kind of, it sucks. It stings. It's, it's, you know, there's, it's embarrassing. It's shameful. There's a lot of wrapped up emotions you blame yourself for a lot of things that were out of your control but at the end of the day you just have to you have to move on because honestly nobody cares at the end of the day yeah you're the only one yeah, yeah. i feel like time will heal right isn't that the the saying for relationships anyway time heals all it still events. sucks when you look back but it's it's a lot easier as time goes on for sure what do you what are your hopes like for the future for you for your personal life for your professional life personally i would like to you know be married by within the next decade that's the thing i've been most focused on nice. recently nice. um 
professionally, what I would like to do is, as I said, just go back to this world where, you know, we're building a company, uh, doing it with people I really enjoy, uh, working on a problem I really care about, and we're able to find customers that we really enjoy working with. And we're, I mean, I'm, I've been able to do that already, so I don't imagine anything's going to change going forward. So. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty cool. I, I wish you the best with that. AJ, any last thoughts? Any last questions for him? Yeah, who would you like to see on the 40 Under 40 podcast? Do you have anybody in your network you could introduce us yes. to? Yes, uh, let me think about that and then uh, make some intros. All right, I'm going to hold Amazing. you to it. We're recording this, Profil. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> we are holding you to this. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I feel like this was all super useful and incredibly helpful for some people wanting to become entrepreneurs, some current entrepreneurs, and I sure learned a lot. So we appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much. And where can people find you if they want to Yeah, uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, at Prof Fulfillment and then uh, AIOnTheBeach.org. We'll have to update the site, but you can find us there. Cool. We'll put that in the show notes. Thank you so Thanks, much. Thank you. Uh, um, that was awesome. Wow. I mean, wow. what a dude. I'm so glad yeah. we asked him to come on here. Seriously, jealous you're friends with him. I mean, now we're besties, so it's fine. What did you get out of it? Like, what's your number one nugget? I mean, too many to count, but honestly, he, the fact, I really liked how he just kept everything real. Like he was just like, you don't mm. need to be rich. You don't need to have all these crazy expectations for yourself. Mm -hmm. Just like do what you can mm -hmm. and do something well. And it just felt so much more real than like some of these books that are like, you know, do things for 10,000 hours and you'll become an expert. It's just so like, yeah, like he's I'm such gonna... a real dude. Yeah, like it's just hard when you're like, oh, 10 million And he's super like humble that. because I didn't realize he actually raised millions of dollars. Oh my I, gosh, I right? thought he raised, I just, you know, but that's a big deal. Like he said 5 million personally, that was huge. That's huge. I mean, I've not raised anywhere close to that and I run a fundraising like nonprofit. I think my biggest takeaway was just, I mean, the robots are coming. He reaffirmed my belief that... AI is going to change the world and a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. And I think we just have to figure something out, you know, yeah, we're going to have but at least said they're going to have new jobs, like different types of jobs. It's not yeah, like but just... maybe, I mean, those jobs are going to be high level engineering jobs. Yeah, it's crazy. But I mean, hope you guys enjoyed him as much as we enjoyed talking to him because yeah. this was a blast. I had so much fun. Tune in next week, folks. We have another awesome episode coming up. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the 40 Under 40 podcast with Caitlin Cromit and AJ McQuarrie. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort and we'll catch you in the next episode. All right.
Good stuff, folks. 